So here we are again, back for our daily Dhamma. Daily Dhamma talk. As I said, when I was first practicing, we had a weekly talk. Every week we were able to listen to the Dhamma as meditators, which is good because we didn't know anything about Buddhism. So, you know, coming for the first time to meditate, it's good to at least have once a week. Problem, of course, it was entirely, entirely in Thai. So it, uh, it ended up being a torture session for for us instead. Chance to see how long we could sit as we would start meditating ten minutes, fifteen minutes, and then and that was that was difficult. But then they'd have us sit through a dhamma talk in a foreign language for an hour, hour and a half. Good practice. That was our Dhamma we got. But uh, eventually we'll have, we'll be able to meet every day. We'll try to keep this going. Maybe once, once a week we'll stop. So on Sundays, when we have a internet session, we'll stop. Otherwise, we'll try to have a talk. It's good to have a daily guidance, not just for meditators, but even actually more so for the community, because the meditator already gets an interview every day, but for the rest of us, we don't have this interview. And it's living in a cave or living in the forest or living without any distractions it's easy to start to lose your mindfulness so when we come back together here even especially for those of us not on course it's good to bring us back it's also good i find it useful for myself to bring me back on track having to collect my thoughts and remind myself of the Dhamma. So it's not that it's something unwelcome. But on the other hand, it shouldn't be our sole focus either. The wisdom we try to find is within ourselves. It has to come from within. Why I say this because some people become quite attached to the to the to the Dhamma discourses. I have people email me and say that they've watched all my videos, some of them twice. 
and I guess they think that should be kind of a compliment but it sounds kind of, it, it feels more like a bit of an insult that, that you you didn't get the point of the first one so you went and watched the second one and the second and third until you watched all 400 or 500 videos that are out there not 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 an insult exactly but it, it's kind of sh uh, embarrassing that uh, the result is only wanting to wanting to hear more wanting to see more the Buddha when he talked he, he, he taught thinking what can I say that will make them go away the quickest this is what he said I remember reading it somewhere I hope I'm not misquoting him but it was quite powerful he doesn't teach thinking what can I say that will make them stick around and want to listen to my talks more he would think what can I say that will make them go away the quickest I'm not very good at that I guess people want to because it's not just about saying things that people want to hear sometimes you have to say difficult things things that people don't want to hear often people are not interested in the teachings on vipassana or insight meditation because it's not uh, it's not full of you know, stories or uh, magical or mystical things or spiritual uh, objects Vipassana is all about the body the feelings, the mind it's about very mundane things that we are not so interested in learning about We want something more, something new. These things are, are old and mundane, uninteresting, and difficult to hear, difficult to listen to teaching on insight meditation if someone's not meditating. So sometimes people don't don't like it because they're they're looking for something interesting. The problem is when you teach interesting things, people want to want, want more. But I don't mean to complain or or scold of anything because, as I said, we need to have this direction and this harmony you know, that comes from meeting together. the direction and the harmony. So harmony is important, but we also have direction. So our center is based on a specific teaching. People think, well, if you want harmony, why don't, why not just, we well, can just sit around and discuss the Dhamma and discuss ideas, but the problem with discussion is that many ideas leads to many different directions so 
So this is why they have the senior monk or the senior person will give the t will give the talk, and no one else can give a talk without the senior monk's permission. This is the Vinaya, because we want to have the same direction. Every center should have the same direction, not just harmony but also direction. So the senior monk is in charge of the Dhamma talk. Anyway, just some some random thoughts about listening to the Dhamma. Listening, the word listening to the Dhamma is a wonderful, wonderful phrase for us to remember, listening to the Dhamma. The real way that we listen to the Dhamma is through our practice. It's really a description of the meditation, of Satipatthana meditation. The Satipatthana are the Dhamma, body, feelings, mind and Dhamma. These are all Dhamma. These are all uh, realities, they're all the teachings of the Buddha. When we listen to them, listening to reality, this is where our mind should be. So, on with the blessings. You know, tonight I will go through more blessings. I don't mean I didn't want to come up here and scold anyone. I didn't want to. I didn't mean to. Don't mean any of this as uh, something negative. We're here to do positive things. We're here to find peace and happiness. So for this reason, we should talk about blessings. We should talk about good things, the good things that we want to practice and we want to develop and we want to attain. Good things in Buddhism are not like candy. No? Many people when they think of good things they think of things like candy or, or games or so on. Even though we don't think of candy and games particularly, we think of things that are like candy and like games. Even in meditation we're always interested in the candy and in the games. The candy means we're interested in uh, pleasant experience. And so we always have, Vipassana meditators are always afraid of the pleasant experiences because we're always scolding meditators. Don't cling to that. So they think, they, you can become very afraid of that. No? The teacher's going to scold me if I have a pleasant experience. But there's nothing worth scolding about a pleasant experience. It's just candy. The problem is that many meditators are are expecting or looking for the candy. This isn't what we mean by good things. This isn't what we mean by blessings. We'll have to see as we go through, but I think what we'll see is not one of the blessings is happiness. Mm -hmm. Happiness is not a blessing. I have to think about it. Maybe it is one of the blessings. Maybe it's in there somewhere indirectly. We'll go through them all. But I think we'll see quite clearly that all 37 of them, none of them is, happiness is not one of them. As, we, as I explained in the introduction, the blessings are things that destroy evil. Mangala, manga is evil. La means they destroy. These are things that, these are medicines. They're not candy, they're medicines. 
a true blessing is not a candy, not a pleasant thing. It may be pleasant to to practice the blessings, but it may also be unpleasant to practice them. It may be difficult to practice because it forces us to give up our attachments and our views and our beliefs. It forces us to see things objectively. It forces us to change our minds, to destroy the evil in our minds, destroy even liking in our minds. As I said, liking, you have to be careful. Mangala. So, and games also. Many people think of the good things in meditation as the games. Games like remembering your past lives, or reading people's minds, or flying through the air. It's just to, just to name the extreme ones. So we play all sorts of games in our meditation. Even jnana, even knowledge that we gain from meditation, we have to give up. Even knowledge of impermanence, knowledge of self, we have to give it up. Once you get it, you get it, give it up. Anything you learn, people who learn things about their lives. This is an upakilesa. Very strange, you know, that knowledge should be an upakilesa. People look at the upakilesa and they lose faith in this kind of teaching because... These are all good things, the Upakilis. They are good things, but they're not Mangala, they're not blessings. They won't, they're not good for anything. They're not good for anything. They're good in a conceptual sense, in terms of being positive, um, uh, conceived as positive. But they're not good for anything. Even when you have some profound insight into reality or your life, or, or you know, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't, or it's not to be clung to. It's not. It doesn't help you to to. It doesn't do anything for you in the next instance. No. Even if you gain knowledge of impermanence or suffering or non-self. It did something, it helped you, but that's finished. That knowledge is not going to help you now. It has changed you. But once once it changed you, that was one moment, and that moment is gone. And why, why it arose? It arose because of your practice. So the mangalas are the practice. All of the good things that we get as a will come as a result of the mangalas. They aren't mangalas themselves. They aren't blessings. The blessings are the practice that we undertake. So we've gone through several of them already. Now we go on to the third stanza. Bahu satchancha sipancha vinayo chasusikito subhasita jayava jayeta mangalmutma Bahu satcha to have much knowledge. Much knowledge is considered to be a blessing. And you hear a lot of Buddhists kind of talk about it as though it were a curse. And I sometimes think of it as a curse as well, because when you learn a lot, then you have to teach it, no? 
and so we complain and some people are even afraid of it and often are averse to it or, or deride it um, when they hear about a monk who has much learning or so on they immediately think that it can't be someone who practices meditation and this is because often that's the case a monk who dedicates their life to learning will never have time for meditation and so we, we see we, because we start by thinking better to meditate than to study so study a little bit but meditate a lot but then it evolves into this idea that study is uh, too much study is a bad thing and it's not really true if you study without practice it's a bad thing but studying is a, is, a, is an incredible blessing it's not the blessing of practice for sure but to have someone who, who, who knows these things right? and to be someone who knows these things is, is a great blessing for yourselves and for other people and it gets, gets a little bit hypocritical where we, we want to go and, and, and ask these questions from the monks who have learned but we don't want to learn ourselves so we, we use these things, you know. We want to read the Bhikkhu Bodhi's translations, but we never want to learn Pali ourselves. That's a waste of time, right? But if Bhikkhu Bodhi stopped translating these books, if he didn't know Pali, we would cry out and, and oh, please, please, please. Well, are you going to learn Pali? No, 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 no. Waste of time. I'm just, you know, Buddha taught practice. It, it, it's not not really, uh, not really. This is in Buddhism. See, in Buddhism, we look at it as as there being two duties. We have the duty of practice, insight, vipassana dura, but there is also ganta dura, dura, the the duty of study. It's our duty to study. You can't expect. Uh, everyone to, else to do the studying for you and so you can read all the Buddhist teachings and not have to do any studying for yourself it's dishonest and it won't get you to where you want to go because it's dishonest you, you want all the benefits but no, no duty the point is that someone has to study this is why it's a great blessing to, to study we just shouldn't expect that someone else does all the studying for us and we can do all the practicing, right? This is, you see that. We want to buy all these books. We think, well, he'll sell them and then we'll, we'll give him money for it. No. But then you think, what, do you, what does Bhikkhu Bodhi need money for? You think he really wants the money? No, just an example. No. You think these monks, they ordain to get money? And is it, can you really replace practice with money? We should be, we, so, we, we have to understand the blessing of study. We understand it, but we understand it in the wrong way. We think someone else will do it for us. This is not correct. Everyone should do the study.
Another problem with too much studying is if it's not done in the correct way or under a teacher, uh, it can lead to, to great problems as well. One, one of the things about you know, expecting other people to do it for us is then we um, we, we the Dhamma becomes too too available someone does all the work for us translating these suttas and it becomes so available that without any practice we can study without any practice we can learn the Buddha's teaching I was quite fortunate that I went to practice meditation without having done any studying. I think now very fortunate. It, w it was unfortunate that I hadn't found Buddhism a lot earlier. But having gone to the meditation center really, really, ig totally ignorant. You know, I didn't have a clue even about the five precepts. And it was quite a shock to hear um, the first thing they wanted me to do at the meditation center was keep some precepts and even take a ceremony. Well, not in a bad way, but it was like, oh, really? You need morality to... I can't smoke marijuana and meditate? I can't kill if I'm going to meditate? Well, just to... to didn't, didn't have any clue about these things. But the... The good side of it was that, that the learning that I did then was very much in line with the meditation practice. Some people don't do that and they study a lot and so they get many ideas and they write books and they do too much studying and not enough practice and their, their monastic life or their Buddhist life is not based around the meditation practice. Or they, they, do, they do more studying than, than meditation. And so they get many ideas. The big problem is that now there are many different ideas of how the Buddha taught. So we have these commentaries in the Theravada tradition that are supposed to do that for us, that are supposed to give us an explanation of these things. And maybe we disagree with them at times, or maybe we don't understand them at times, but follow them. And I think this is incredibly important, and I'm, I'm not sure exactly how to explain it, but the point is that study is not the goal. And certainly arguing about the meaning is not the goal. The goal is to practice to see what, what is the truth of the meaning. And so if we argue and, and have views about these things, it's a waste of our time. If in our practice we realize that something the commentary said is not not according to our practice, then we have a then we have to take it up as an issue. But for the most part, we have a very strong tradition of, of how does that mean? Anyway, maybe this is a little bit off topic. Really, for our meditation practice, bahusatya means we have to have much knowledge of reality. One example of, of this sort of thing is people read the suttas you know, and, and do get a lot of knowledge, but they never they never focus on 
creating a path for themselves. So they never focus on the essence. So you might read the suttas, but you never memorize the four foundations of mindfulness. So when we come to practice meditation, we have to go the other way around. We have to memorize and memorize what's most important. We have to memorize the four foundations of mindfulness. Our practice should be in this way, should be that we uh, memorize like a like we memorize a map. Here we are looking at the map and we memorize the way to go. Because our, our intention is not to learn or to study or to think. Our intention is to practice, is to follow, is to realize the truth for ourselves. So Bahu Satya is doing things like memorizing the four foundations of mindfulness. So that when we're in our practice, we will be able to recognize right away this is body. So we will remember this is how to practice walking meditation and sitting meditation. And that we don't just do walking, we have to know gachantova gachami tibhagavati. We have to know gachami, I'm walking. When we sit, we have to know I'm sitting. We have to have a clear idea of, of the, um, the path that we're supposed to follow. The Buddha called the four foundations of mindfulness like fence posts. He said, this is our range, our pasture. We have to set them up like fence posts so we remember where our range is. We have to know this is, this is, this is our boundary. Because he said like a peacock, like a quail, if it goes outside of its range, it will be, it will be caught up by a, an eagle. But if it stays in its familiar grounds where it has all of it knows all of the places, then it won't get caught. And be able to dive into holes and not get caught by the eagle. So we, if we go outside, we'll, we'll get caught by Mara. If we go outside the four foundations of mindfulness, we'll get caught by Mara in the same way. And the meaning is we have to memorize these things and we have to keep them in our mind. This is our practice. Whenever we uh, Whenever we can, we have to remember this thing. body, feelings, mind, this kind of thing. And then we have to become full of the knowledge that comes from the practice itself. Bahusatya doesn't just mean uh, book knowledge, though in a strict sense that's really what, what is being talked about. But the knowledge that we gain from from thinking or the knowledge that we gain from books is really I think it goes without saying we all understand it's nothing compared to the knowledge that comes from meditating because knowledge in books it's this kind of knowledge that excites you, you know? it creates can create more craving more views more attachment more mental activity knowledge from meditation is exactly the opposite even people who read the Buddha's teachings become so inspired and excited and, and uh, actually attached to it. You know, people who listen to Dhamma talks and in uh, the Sri Lankan people are always listening to Dhamma talks. In Thailand, 
In the West, no. In the West, people will download hours and hours of Dhamma talks. And because it's inspiring, it's exciting. And meditation, when you practice meditation, it's not so inspiring. The knowledge we get from meditation is to uninspire you. Everything in meditation will, will make you more and more uninspired. This is really the nibida. Atta nibindati dukhe. You become dis disenchanted with suffering. You get disenchanted with everything. Sabe sankara dukha. All sankharas, everything is the same. Whether it's here in the forest or back at home. Whether it's seeing or hearing or smelling. Whether it's good things or bad things. The knowledge that we gain from meditation is uninspired. It's quite different. Quite different from the knowledge that comes from, from learning and from, from thinking. The knowledge is the knowledge that we gain right here from sitting. It's the knowledge that you gain if you start listening to my voice as just sound. Rising and ceasing, as I said, not according to your desires. You say hearing, hearing, and you see how, how uh, jarring it is, how stressful it is. How stressful it is to cling to, expect, even expect the sound to be smooth and flowing, even to like the sound. The knowledge of meditation is the knowledge of this here now quite uh, becomes quite uninspiring because everything is changing and arising and ceasing nothing is satisfying So why why is this a blessing? Because this is what allows us to this is what cleanses our mind of our attachment. As long as we see one thing or or any one thing as special and try to cling to it or find happiness in it, we'll never uh, will never become our mind will never become pure. We'll, We'll always be seeking, always be needing that. Happiness is dependent on that. So the more we can see, the more the bahu, the more we can see that things are changing and unsatisfying and uncontrollable, the better. The more, the more boredom that arises, the more 
excruciating it becomes, the better. Because the more we'll, we'll, we'll let go, the less we'll depend on the external world. We're so trying so much to depend on, to make the world outside something we can depend on, to make our experiences something we can depend on. So we're never independent. We want to be able to depend on these things, that they'll always be like this or like that. One woman in, on Skype, she said, am I ever going to be happy? I said, well, you might be happy, but it won't, it won't make you happy. If you want to be happy, you have to know you can't be happy all the time. It's the only way. You have to become independent. The only way to become independent is to let go, to see, to see some pretty uninspiring things, to, to become uninspired with, with impermanent experience. Okay, so Bahu Sajja, we have to learn, we do have to study, but our most important study is uh, the study of reality. It is meditation, Bahu Sajja. Sippang. Sippang means uh, uh, trade, a skill. And so this is the kind of thing that you might attribute more to to lay life because it is a blessing to have a trade or to have a skill to have something you can do something that is useful but these aren't these this this isn't a this isn't something that destroys evil things no this destroys worldly discomfort and worldly troubles so if you're poor and then you apply your skill, you can you can escape poverty. But the word sippa, you know, we can use we can apply it to meditation. That even in meditation, or in the Buddha's teaching, you need skill. You need to be clever. Meditation isn't just about. Uh, walking and sitting and applying the technique, you have to be clever. Sometimes when uh, when you're walking and, and you start to become distracted, you have to know that you should sit. Or even if sitting is too distracting, you can lie down. And you have to be clever about it. You have to know the technique of it. So walking isn't just walking back and forth. One time, my teacher... Uh, my teachers scolded me about this. There was this forest monk who was a student of our teacher as well, but he was a little bit crazy. He had his own ideas. And so a friend of another monk, a young monk, he, he said, last night I went walking, he did walking meditation with Tu uh, Yut, Yut was his name, or Yut, I don't know. Yud, Payut. Yud means stop, I don't know. And uh, it was great, we walked all night. Oh, that sounds nice. And so he said, come on, come with us. And so we went with him. And it turns out that what we did is we walked, walked quite quickly back and forth, back and forth, long walks. 
from one end of the monastery courtyard to the other, walking and talking. And it was quite, quite, uh, quite fun actually because we weren't tired at all and we could stay up all night and just walk back and forth. It gave great energy. And so I went and asked my teacher if this was a suitable sort of practice and he said, he thought that it was my idea or something and he said, oh, that's the way of foreigners. He said, falang, the foreign style exercise, he said. Just exercise. So he said, you have to have a technique. Walking isn't to get somewhere. Walking is to be aware of the datus. We are of Vayo datu, Tejo datu, Apo datu. Patavi datu. Not Apo datu, but Patavi datu. The hardness of touching the ground or softness of your foot. The heat. When, when you lift your foot, it feels cool. That's Tejo datu. You move, it feels cool. You put it down, it feels hot again. You touch the ground, you feel, you feel the heat. When you feel the movement, the pressure in the leg, that's the vayodatu. The pressure coming up, lifting it up, the pressure releasing when you put it down, vayodatu. You need this, so you need a technique. No, this is where we do mindful prostration. Having a technique and having a knowledge of the technique of meditation. If you see how how inspiring this this course is, how how useful it is to how portable it is. I've seen this this same technique applied all over the world, and it's quite portable. If a person learns this technique, not only can they help themselves, but they can help others, but even just for yourself. When I go off and do a retreat by myself, I know I can, I can, I won't get lost, no, because I know I have ten days, one, two, three, four, and as long as I stick by that, I can, can't easily get lost because I have a sipa, uh, I have a technique, a skill. So when you when you when you've learned the skill of this meditation technique, it's quite portable, and it's something you find. What was amazing was after I went to practice meditation and still had very little idea about Buddhism. There were a couple of people who heard that I had gone to practice meditation and wanted you know, some to learn something from me, and I was actually able to lead two people. I said to them, look, I'm not a teacher and I don't really have an understanding of this, but I can go through the basics. And so I led two people all the way through, all the way up to sixth walking step. And it changed both of their lives. They're both now quite quite strong in Buddhism. Quite, I, I, I lost contact with both of them, but from my understanding, they're both very much into the, last they understood, they're both very much into the, te into the practice. This is sipa, sipa, having a technique and knowing the technique in the meditation. 
to great blessing to not just think I'm going to sit in meditation and learn my own way and become enlightened it, it doesn't really it's not it's not something that just comes to you naturally if you don't learn the technique and practice it some technique any technique and apply it diligently now this is if you look in the Visuddhi Magga it's full of techniques I've even heard people who practice the technique in the Visuddhi Magga to learn remember their past lives and can actually verify that the technique works, that they were able to remember their past lives as a result of the Visuddhimanga. There are people who follow all the techniques in there. These are tried and tested, and if you learn these skills, you can do a lot with them. It's a great blessing, because it keeps you on track, and it helps you guide others as well, which is a great blessing for them. Vitnayochasusikito, to have a discipline that is well that is well trained, well trained discipline. So we talk about the Vinaya. Um, the Vinaya is the Buddha the Buddha said the Vinaya is the the, the lifeblood of the Dhamma or it's the support of the Dhamma. The reason why he instated the Vinaya is as a, in order to protect the Dhamma. He said, just like flowers on a raft, if you put flowers on a raft and set them adrift in the ocean, before long the flowers are going to blow off the raft, blow, blown by the wind. But if you tie them up, if you take a string and you tie them around the flowers into a bouquet, and you can see even though wind, they get tossed about in the ocean. So in, in, in Thailand or in India, no, they put the flowers out on the river. And you see if you tie them together, they don't get blown away. He said in the same way the Vinaya is, is, is for this purpose. Because the Buddha told that in other times there were Buddhas who didn't instate the Vinaya. And as a result, the sasana of those Buddhas didn't last long. Because even though there were arahants, there was no there was no way to develop a community, or there was no chance to develop a community. And so, without the community rules, there was no development. Many many things we should understand in this way that the for the continuation of the sasana, we need organization. Just lately we've been talking about our organization, our non-profit organization, our monastic organization. And the discussion is kind of philosophical, no? just asking the, the philosophical question of what is the use of organizing? This is the, the meaning of the Vinaya. The reason it's a blessing is because it keeps us organized, it keeps us together. The benefit is that the sasana will last longer, the sasana will be a stay, not just for the benefit of others, but for our benefit as well. We think we're just going to practice meditation and not pay attention to the rules or any sort of organization. And then before we know it, we have nowhere to meditate, we have no opportunity to meditate because we're tossed about in the wind, we have no community. 
This development of a community is not something easy. We've tried many times, no one failed, I've failed miserably. It's something that takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of care to develop. It requires harmony and, and, and discipline. So discipline is something that works very much on a worldly level. If our community can stay disciplined and stay focused and organized, if, if everyone is on track and doing their part and uh, not just expecting but also giving. I was saying that if you expect to if you expect to get teachings, well, you have to be careful because you'll be expected to give them eventually. This, is, uh, this isn't a bad, this is, shouldn't be a scary thing. It's something that we should take as our burden. That we've, we've, we've become a part of this organization. So discipline plays a very important part in, 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 in organizing because it creates harmony and it creates peace. If you ever been to a monastery where they don't have this then you can see how crazy and how unorganized and how much uh, strife and dis disharmony there is but this isn't the this isn't the core of the, the Vinaya this isn't the core of the discipline that we are trying to attain so of course in Buddhism there's always these two levels the worldly level and then the ultimate level. On the ultimate level we're trying to develop a disciplined mind. Our mind is fickle, our mind is undisciplined. And this is the reason why we suffer, the reason why we cause suffering, the reason why we are why we are defiled in the mind because of a lack, lack of discipline so our training one way of understanding our training is as a discipline our minds will become more more like a soldier more straight more clear more precise more disciplined more uh, Skilled. The idea is that our mind should be, be becomes so disciplined, so skilled that it has a very simple relationship to the rest of the world, to its experience. That experience will just be direct. When we see or hear or smell or taste or feel or think, it will be just what it is. There won't be judging, there won't be liking or disliking. There won't be any wants or needs or dissatisfactions. Our mind will, will become so perfect that we'll begin to just see things for what they are. We have to be, we have to be uh, disciplined in order to do this. We have to be skilled. We have to work hard. Part of the discipline is the discipline that brings us to this. Yeah. We want to have a disciplined mind. Well, we have to begin in a very disciplined way. 
We can't get sidetracked by good things or bad things. We can't become sidetracked by views or opinions or ideas of how things should be or could be or would be. We can't get sidetracked by problems or complaints. We have to have a disciplined mind to not worry or concern ourselves with external affairs. It's very difficult in organizing a community. It's very easy to get sidetracked by administrative things and so on. This is a good warning that we should be disciplined and we should remember what is most important. So, Vinayo Chasusikito. And finally, Subhasita Chayavaja. So, I don't know whether any of this has been Subhasita, but this is what is a blessing. When we speak, that is, that word is well spoken. We have to be very careful when we speak. It's very easy to speak uh, poorly spoken words. It's much more difficult to speak well-spoken words. Whatever speech is well-spoken, it, it's a blessing. So in, in essence, the Buddha is explaining to us what sort of speech is, is a blessing speech. A blessing speech is, or good speech is that speech which is a blessing, that speech which purifies the minds of the people who hear it or purifies one's own mind that one should purify one's own speech. One's speech should be for the purpose of purifying one's own mind. So we should train ourselves to engage only in speech that is good, speech that is pure. Not so easy. On a general level, subhasita just, just means giving good, good advice. You know? So we can say that a Dhamma talk like this, we can, in a general sense, we can say this was Subhasita, this Vajja, this teaching. If it's something that's about the Buddha's teaching, this is good speech. The Buddha said that when you meet together, you should either talk about the Dhamma or stay silent. And because it's a, this is the... This is the point of the speech. Good, good speech is that speech which, uh, which leads one closer to the Dhamma. We shouldn't underestimate the, the power of the Dhamma. We shouldn't underestimate the power of, of the teaching. We shouldn't just Buddha said, listen to a thousand words and not get anything out of it. Even one word that gives us some meaning should be enough, should, uh, is, is the better speech. The meaning is we, when, when the, we shouldn't miss the blessing that comes in the speech. We don't, even, even just the four foundations of mindfulness, one there's a good example I was teaching on Skype and I, I gave a very basic explanation of the three characteristics because it was clear that this person didn't 
uh, wasn't understanding them and, and asked, was that of any help? And he said, no, not really, because it seemed very basic what I was saying. So I had to explain again that, well, listen, don't, don't, don't ignore what's being said here. No. It sounds very simple to say that everything is everything inside us and the world around us is impermanent. Very simple words. Everything around us in the world, everything inside of us is is suffering. Is unsatisfying. Everything around us and inside of us is is uh, not under our control. It's non-self. Well, you can go in one, in one ear and out the other ear. So the Buddha was was very was absolutely correct, of course, to say that this is to point out that this is a blessing that we should see the blessing in it. We should see the power of speech, the power of words, the power of teaching, you know, the power of knowledge of the four satipatthana. We shouldn't just take it as something to read and keep in our minds and read more and more and more, or listen and once and listen more and more. And more. Uh, or so on. We should find the meaning in it and put it into practice. So these are some more blessings for us. The, the important point is that the, the biggest blessing is our practice, is the development of insight. Whether it be the, the truth that comes from it, whether it be the skill that comes from it, whether it be the discipline that comes from it, or whether it be the the the, uh, the teaching that comes from it, whether it be the the, uh, the teaching itself, all of these things. The important thing is the the, the benefit that it brings for the practice. Our our knowledge should be for the benefit. Our knowledge should be based on the practice. Our skill should be skill should be applied to the practice. Our discipline should be applied to the practice, and our speech should be put into practice. So, for the development of insight and, and wisdom. Anyway, that's all. I'm Apologize for being somewhat scattered because of, of the of minor cold, but I think it's getting better. Anyway, that's all for tonight, so now we can go back and do our practice, continue on. Uh, everyone can go where they want to.